Chapter 12 of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter 12 An Excuse for a Christmas Tree. Pollyanna's preparations for the first Christmas of her married life were extremely modest. Even if Jimmy's salary had been twice as large as it really was, she could not have brought herself to have spent lavishly for non-essentials, when across the sea, where the great war was raging, thousands of children were suffering for the necessities of life. Pollyanna suggested to Jimmy that they, too, should omit an exchange of gifts, but, to her surprise, he repudiated the suggestion with scorn. "'No, I won't do it, Pollyanna, and you might as well drop it. This is our first Christmas in our own home, and if you think I'm going to celebrate by passing up your present, you'll have to guess again.' "'But I don't need anything more, Jimmy. That's just the point. Think of my wedding presents. Think of all this darling brand-new furniture that's yours and mine.' "'And even without any of these things,' concluded Pollyanna, gazing at him with an expression flattering to his vanity— I've had enough this year to satisfy the greediest woman. Without question, Jimmy knew exactly what she meant. Whatever his lacks, no one could accuse him of being slow of wit. But, because he wanted the satisfaction of hearing her say it, he looked blank. What do you mean by that? You stupid boy. You, of course. Oh, is that all? All? Pollyanna's inflection made the monosyllable very impressive. She looked down at her wedding ring, a narrow little circlet shining on her left hand, and then put the hand against her cheek. Such a wonderful year, she sighed. Of course it hasn't been nearly a year yet. I wonder if the next six months can possibly be as glad as these have been. Jimmy did not meet her eye. For a moment she had the impression that a shadow had eclipsed the brightness of his face, but the idea was so unreasonable that she promptly dismissed it. Then, though he still looked away, he reiterated his previous assertion. It's our first Christmas in our own home, and we're going to keep it with all the frills. I shall buy you the nicest present I can afford, and I shall expect you to do the same by me. Pollyanna wondered if Jimmy's idea of frills included a Christmas tree, and paradoxically she was both relieved and disappointed when her tactful questioning revealed that he did not regard it as indispensable. To Pollyanna herself, the tree was almost the paramount feature of a Christmas celebration. She did not care in the least whether it was small enough to stand in a flower-pot or tall enough to brush the ceiling. The thing that was important was the tree itself, green and spicy, and irresistible in its holiday dress. Had Pollyanna been only six, instead of her actual advanced age, she could not have felt a keener longing for a Christmas tree. It will be a splendid way to save money, mused Pollyanna, trying hard to be practical. Of course, the tree doesn't cost so much, but the ornaments count up. And when you haven't much money, it's silly to spend any of it for tinsel and little coloured balls. Of course, that should have settled the question, and yet, when Pollyanna thought of Christmas, she was conscious at once of a hollow feeling, as if something were missing. Each time it took her a minute to trace that feeling to its source, and realized that it was occasioned by the fact that no Christmas tree was included in her plans for the forthcoming holiday. One evening, about a week before Christmas, Pollyanna and Jimmy, returning home from a branch post office, 
where they had stood in line a full hour, stopped before one of the show-windows of a large store, less to enjoy the display than to watch the assembled crowd. The window had been given over entirely to a Christmas scene. There was a fireplace with full stockings dangling in line, a benevolent Santa Claus with an overflowing pack, and, over in the corner, a Christmas tree. The crowd was made up of even more adults than children, and so many of the faces were wistful that Pollyanna felt a stabbing pain at her heart. "'Just look at that old man,' she whispered to Jimmy. "'I don't believe he ever had a Christmas tree, and he wants one. Poor dear!' Jimmy surveyed the weary, bearded old face with hardly less sympathy. "'Perhaps he used to have Christmas trees when he was a little chap,' he said. "'And this brings back the memory of everything he has lost, his mother and all the rest. Pretty tough!' A piping voice called their attention from weary age to eager youth. "'That tree's real, Joey,' a small voice was informing his brother. "'Once it growed in the ground, didn't it, Ma?' "'Sure it did,' a voice replied, and Pollyanna turned quickly. "'Why, she cried with a pleasure, inevitable, on meeting an old friend. "'It's Lizzie!' A shabby young woman who stood just back of the two boys looked up. Her puzzled eyes scanned Pollyanna for a moment, and then her rather sullen expression softened. "'Oh, it's you, ma'am,' she said. "'Good evening.' "'This is my husband, Lizzie,' beamed Pollyanna, while Jimmy lifted his hat. "'And are these your children?' "'Yes, ma'am, they're mine.' The young woman straightened Joey's cap with a little jerk, but under her brooding look one glimpsed an expression of tenderness, like the sun sending out its rays from behind dark clouds." "'What nice-looking boys! I didn't know you had children, Lizzie. I suppose they can hardly wait till Christmas.' "'I guess this is as much Christmas as they're likely to get,' the mother replied grimly. "'It's hard enough nowadays to buy food for em to eat, and keep em in decent clothes, without spending money for playthings.' She hesitated, and then, as if impelled by something in Pollyanna's sympathetic attention, continued, "'My husband deserted me when Joey was two years old.' I was sick, and the children were sick, and I guess he thought things were too hard. Anyway, he just cleared out, and ever since I've had it all to do. "'And aren't you glad that you're able to?' exclaimed Pollyanna. "'So many women couldn't possibly take care of themselves and two children besides, no matter how much they wanted to.' Again the sombre shadow on the young woman's face lifted slightly. "'Why, yes, ma'am,' she said. "'I guess you're right as to that. I haven't much to be glad about.' but I'd be worse off if I hadn't my health and couldn't take care of my children. The two boys had been discussing some subject with absorbed interest, but now the voice of the older again rose shrill and penetrating. No, I don't. I choose the sled. I choose the bear, shouted Joey. You'd be scared of the bear if you got it. Wouldn't either. That kind of bears can't eat you up. Shh, cautioned the mother. Don't talk so loud but her lips curved in a smile that made her face very pleasant, and was still in evidence, when Pollyanna said, "'Good evening.' Jimmy waited till they were at a safe distance before putting the inquiry. "'May I ask your friend's name?' "'I don't know any name but Lizzie,' Pollyanna explained, "'but she comes every week to clean for Judith.' "'Oh,' Jimmy chuckled, "'I thought from your pleasure over meeting her that she must be an old school friend.' "'She seemed rather blue tonight,' said Pollyanna thoughtfully. "'And you can't wonder when she has those two boys, "'and can't do anything to make a Christmas for them, "'except letting them look into the shop windows.' "'Oh!' she stopped short with the exclamation, 
and Jimmy regarded her quizzically. Forgotten something? Jimmy, I've a wonderful idea. Let's have a Christmas tree and invite those boys. I've been crazy to have a Christmas tree, and this is such a splendid excuse. You're a selfish young woman, teased Jimmy. Here you're pretending you want to give two small boys a good time, while it's yourself you're thinking about. Pollyanna dimpled becomingly. It did seem too absurd to spend money on a Christmas tree for two grown-up married people, but I've wanted one all the time, and now I'm going to have one. You'd like it, wouldn't you? she added with sudden apprehension. Of course I'd like it. Only let's invite them the afternoon before, so we can have Christmas to ourselves. But I've asked Russell and Judith to dinner Christmas Day. They're all alone, you know, and she makes such hard work of cooking dinner, and a Christmas dinner just for two seems such an extravagance, and I thought, I surrender, cried Jimmy, throwing up his hands. Don't shoot. But you don't mind, do you, Jimmy? Not if they don't get to scrapping, but I agree with Solomon that it's better to have a dinner of baked beans with affection and politeness as a sauce than a Christmas turkey, with guests that never agree. They're doing a great deal better, since the tomatoes, Pollyanna declared hopefully. Yes, they're doing better, I suppose, Jimmy added reflectively, that if people have grown old enough to marry without exercising any self-control, it's slow work learning it, but I have hopes of both of them. Pollyanna changed the subject. Lizzie's coming to Judas tomorrow to clean, and I'll invite her and the children for the twenty-fourth, and if it's all right, we'll get the tree. Pollyanna had no difficulty in making arrangements with the mother of the two boys. It was true that Lizzie herself had agreed to help someone who was to have a Christmas Eve party, and she would be busy from four o'clock to considerably after midnight, but she explained that this need not interfere with Pollyanna's plans. I'll bring the boys around about half-past three, she said, and when you get done with them, just take them down to the street, and they'll find their way home, all right? Peter's a real little man. Joey hasn't got much sense, but he'll mind, so I don't worry when he's out with Peter. Accordingly, Jimmy and Pollyanna invested a portion of their Christmas funds in a Christmas tree. It was a small tree, of course, for the tiny apartment could hardly have accommodated anything else, and moreover, Pollyanna was considering the cost of trimming it, and, from that point of view, the smaller the better. Then they bought discreetly of regulation Christmas tree ornaments, and Pollyanna made long strings of popcorn, with the cranberry inserted at intervals, and did wonders with red tissue paper. For several evenings she devoted herself almost entirely to the Christmas tree, Jimmy rendering such assistance as he was competent to give. They had bought several inexpensive gifts for each boy, and Judith, too, had contributed two artistically wrapped packages, but it was on the Christmas tree that Pollyanna was chiefly depending for the success of the occasion. For it will be their first Christmas tree, she said to Jimmy, and just think how they'll enjoy it. By three o'clock on the afternoon of the 24th, the living room of Pollyanna's apartment looked crowded, though the special guests of the occasion had not yet arrived. The little spruce tree stood in the middle of the room, brave in all its Christmas finery, and beneath the lower boughs, carefully wrapped in tissue paper and tied with red ribbon, were the packages containing the gifts. Judith and Russell had dropped in to witness the delight of the children, and Gladys Moore, who had come over to bring Pollyanna a sweater she had made herself, and which could not by any possibility have been worn by any person larger than a three-year-old child, had been so interested in Pollyanna's explanation of the Christmas tree that she had remained to see the fun. 
Pollyanna, too excited to sit quietly, circled the tree again and again, straightening an ornament that hung askew, or shortening a loop of tinsel. "'They're a little late,' she said at length, with a glance at the clock. "'Don't you worry about their not getting here,' Russell comforted her. "'Nothing could keep them away.' "'Oh, I know that, but Lizzie goes to work at five o'clock, and I thought—' Pollyanna checked herself abruptly. "'What is that queer noise?' Everybody listened. From somewhere, seemingly from the hall, rose a strange, weird sound. It made Pollyanna think of what she had read regarding the banshee. A wail swelled up and died away, then rose again shrilly. Pollyanna ran to the door and threw it wide. In the hall was a strange spectacle. A young woman with a flushed face and compressed lips, gripped with either hand, a small boy. The eyes of the two boys were closed, yet not so tightly, but what the tears rolled down their cheeks, and— when they caught their breath sufficiently, they broke into the wailing which had first arrested Pollyanna's attention. "'Oh, Lizzie!' Pollyanna gasped, shocked as she recognized her anticipated guests. "'What is it? What ails the boys?' Before answering, Lizzie gave each of the children a shake and advanced into the apartment, dragging them with her, though the boys hung back in a way that rendered this feat extremely difficult. "'I hope you'll excuse their actions, ma'am,' exclaimed Lizzie somewhat breathlessly. They've had two good whippings since two o'clock, and if they don't behave themselves, they'll get another Christmas morning that they'll remember. But what are they crying for? Scared, snapped Lizzie in accents of exasperation. I never saw a pair like them. Seems as if they never could get used to nobody but me. Will you stop it now? she demanded of Joey, giving him a violent jerk. Oh, don't, Lizzie, Pollyanna implored. They can't help being frightened, you know, and they'll get over it as soon as they get a little used to things. "'Twas the same last summer,' Lizzie exploded wrathfully. They were to go to the country for two weeks with one of them fresh-air crowds. And what did they do when I got them to that railway station, but set up such a bellering that I had to bring them home again? "'Will you stop it?' she demanded this time of Peter, and with a shake which seemed to express a resentment treasured from the summer previous. Pollyanna glanced at the clock. "'Don't you need to hurry along, Lizzie?' she inquired tactfully. "'The boys will be all right after a little.' But it did not prove easy for Lizzie to hurry along as her offspring flung themselves upon her and clung to her with tenacity. But she at length freed herself and made her way into the hall, banging the door behind her. The boys, after a frenzied and futile effort to follow her by projecting their bodies through the solid oak, apparently resigned themselves to the worst. They stood sobbing violently, and though they allowed Pollyanna to take them by the hands and lead them into the living room, it was evident that their submission was due to their sense of absolute hopelessness, now that their only friend had deserted them. "'Just look at this Christmas tree,' chirped Pollyanna in her liveliest tones, "'and see that little Santa Claus standing under it.' The two boys stood facing the tree, but it was at once plain that its splendour made no impression of them, for the reason that their eyes were squeezed tightly shut in an ecstasy of misery. "'Perhaps you'd like some candy to start with,' cooed Pollyanna, still counterfeiting extreme light-heartedness. "'Jimmy, bring the dish from the dining-room.' Jimmy rushed to obey, but the candies, temptingly arrayed on a blue-and-white platter, made as little appeal as the Christmas tree, and for the same reason. "'Now I wonder which you'd rather have,' deliberated Pollyanna artfully, a pink-and-white striped candy cane or a lovely red candy elephant. 
Apparently, Peter and Joey did not have the least intention of helping to solve this interesting problem. They only sobbed on, and when Pollyanna put one of the candy canes into Peter's hand, hoping that this would appeal to his curiosity sufficiently to make him open his eyes, he opened his hand instead and let the cane drop. It broke in fragments on the rug, and Gladys found it impossible to control her emotions longer. "'Well, if those kids aren't the libbet, after you fussed to fix them up, a tree, all they can do is to howl as if they expected to be murdered. How would it do to try them with the presents? suggested Judith in a low voice. I got a little bear for Joey, because you said— Just the thing! Pollyanna plunged into the pile of gifts under the Christmas tree and tore the wrappings from the teddy bear with desperate haste, but her coaxing could not prevail on Joey to open his eyes, and, when she gently rubbed the bear's furry head against his cheek, Joey fell over against his brother and clung to him in a paroxysm of terror. For a moment even Pollyanna was at a loss. She stood with the bear in her hand, gazing despairingly at the children whose Christmas she had hoped to make happy. Gladys was muttering her opinion of such ingratitude when Pollyanna spoke, the desperate earnestness of her voice expressing her conviction that the possible solution which had occurred to her was the one hope of saving the day. "'Listen, boys!' How would you like to have this Christmas tree in your own house? Of course there was no answer. That would have been altogether too much to expect, but Pollyanna thought she detected a partial check in the vehemence of their sobbing. She was convinced that they had heard, that they were listening. She repeated her suggestion, this time elaborating on it. Wouldn't you like to go home, boys, and we'll go along and bring the tree and everything, and we'll put it up where you can see it every day and play with it as much as you like. The crying had actually stopped. Peter opened his swollen eyes a crack and peered at his brother. Joey did likewise. The tear-stained faces were still much too tragic for smiles, but it was clear that Pollyanna's suggestion had been favourably received. "'It's the only thing to do,' Pollyanna said resolutely. "'I'll get the boxes the ornaments came in, and we'll pack them up again. The presents can go in my market-basket. Then you'll have to carry the tree over your shoulder, Jimmy, just as you did the night we bought it.' They all fell to work. In a surprisingly short time the tree was dismantled, and its gay trappings packed and ready for transportation. The two boys stood looking on, meanwhile with much the air of captives expecting death by torture, who have found themselves unexpectedly reprieved. Pollyanna had assumed that Jimmy and herself would attend to the removal of the Christmas tree, and the two boys, while the guests left behind, amused themselves in any way that appealed to them but she soon learned that the others wished to share in all the excitements of the afternoon. When at length they left the house, they made quite a procession. Pollyanna took charge of the two boys, who seemed to find her a trifle less terrifying than the other strangers, probably because she had been responsible for the suggestion that they be allowed to return home. Jimmy carried the Christmas tree and rustled the basket of gifts. Judith had made herself responsible for the box of candy, and Gladys for the ornaments stripped from the tree and packed in haste. Even on the day before Christmas such a caravan attracted attention. People came to the windows to stare as they passed. Pedestrians offered comments more or less complimentary. In the metropolis rich and poor are neighbours perforce, and a short walk from the irreproachable neighbourhood where Jimmy and Pollyanna had set up their household gods brought them to streets which seemed utterly alien to America, crowded streets 
where the faces were almost entirely foreign, and snatches of varied and fantastic tongues recalled the Tower of Babel. The faces of the two boys cleared as they found themselves on familiar ground, and when they reached the swarming tenement house, which to them stood for home, they clattered up the stairs almost joyously. Lizzie's quarters were a single room, bedroom, living room, kitchen, and dining room combined, but they found a space for the Christmas tree, and set it up in almost its pristine elegance, the reservation being due to the fact that on her way up the steep stairs Gladys had dropped the box of ornaments and broken several, which had been Pollyanna's especial pride. But the tinsel and the strings of popcorn and the festoons of tissue paper were less fragile, and the Christmas tree, in its new environment, lost nothing of its impressiveness. The boys, while immensely relieved to find themselves at home, and vastly interested in all that was going on, were still too conscious of the peril they had so narrowly escaped to think of smiling. But when at length, after farewells not too elaborate, the party took its departure, Pollyanna looked back from the doorway and caught her husband's arm. "'See, Jimmy,' she whispered, "'it's all right now.' The boys were squatting on the floor, close to the Christmas tree, and Peter had seized a candy cane and was sucking it rapturously. Joey was holding the teddy bear to his heart, baby fashion, and his solemn little face wore a solemn little smile, and Pollyanna's own face lost its tense expression, as she saw her good intentions realized at last. They're going to have a wonderful time now, she sighed. Bless their hearts. On ahead, Gladys sniffed disdainfully. Well, I should hope so. I'd have made them stay till they had to stop crying. They couldn't have kept that up forever. Pollyanna shook her head. No, Gladys, if you're going to try to give people pleasure, the sensible thing is to make them happy in their way and not in yours. Rather disappointing, though, to have it turn out this way, sympathized Judith. "'I don't feel so a bit,' cried Pollyanna. They were outside by now, and all were surprised by the brightness of her face. "'I've always felt so sorry for the people who live in such poor homes. And yet, don't you see, if it's a home, they don't mind its being shabby or crowded. Instead of feeling disappointed, I'm so glad to know that children who have to do without so many things feel as if home was the best thing in the world, just as we do. It's a good thing to put a bold face on it,' teased Jimmy. You wanted an excuse for a Christmas tree, and now you've got the excuse, but no tree. And when, a few blocks further on, they came to a sidewalk vendor, disposing of the last of his stock at bargain prices, Jimmy insisted, in spite of Pollyanna's protests, on buying a little tree. Of course there was nothing with which to trim it, for Pollyanna put her foot down firmly against further extravagance. But before Christmas was over, she had owned to Jimmy, more than once, that the little evergreen, breathing out its resinous, spicy fragrance, had been indispensable in giving to the day the atmosphere of Christmas. End of chapter 12 Recording by Claire